0: Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with
1: your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Matthew, we uh, we've had a, a great week. The weather is uh, has been really nice, starting to warm up a little bit. But boy, the uh, the golf last week. I know you were mentioning uh, Bryson. Bryson
0: DeChambeau's driving. Yeah, and the long the long drive competition. I think he hit a 412 yard was his longest inbounds. It was, I mean, just incredible. Now, granted, I was watching the replays and the commentators were, you know, commenting on the wind that was behind him. There was a gust of wind apparently, but yeah. not to take anything away from that. Yeah. That is. Just
1: incredible. And I think it's pretty unusual. Those long drive contests are usually not professional golfers, right? right? I mean, they're just people that can hit the ball a long way. But for him being on the PGA Tour uh, in the Ryder Cup – Uh, He actually drove the first green on the last day and made an eagle putt. So he he drove a par four, four. which was amazing. And speaking of the Ryder Cup, Matthew, I don't know, you haven't watched, you didn't get to watch it. I do have it uh, recorded for you to watch. But uh, I think that is actually a level above um, college football for me. It's just really exciting. It's interesting because golf is a team sport. Uh, excuse me as an individual sport but they come together as a team and um, just a lot of different dynamics in there so uh, that was a lot of fun this last weekend and have to uh, you know put a little dig in on Clemson you know two and two you know little rumblings in the uh, Tiger Nation there but uh, of course, Carolina doesn't have a lot to speak no. about either. We're 2-2 two and two as well. So uh, anyway, we're having this is a great time of the year. I love this time. You know, usually it's in the 70s to 80s That's and right. cools off at night. So hope everyone is enjoying their their fall season out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a, a great lineup today. A really interesting topic, Matthew, that you found that we haven't. I don't think we've ever covered this before. It's on safe deposit boxes.
0: Yeah, and so we're going to look at um, nine things that you should not put in a bank safe deposit box. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. Yeah, it is. Kind it's of, interesting. Got some interesting interesting yeah, notes on in there. I think
1: I may need to, We have a safe deposit box. I may need to change some of these. Yeah, um, that's right. Interesting uh, conversation there. And then we're going to switch to a, a, a fun topic as well. It's uh, from the Ramsey organization about how to enjoy sporting events. And that's one of the things that you and I have always done. Uh, over the years is we go to sporting events and um, we'll give you some of our personal experiences there but um, you know it's expensive when you go to some of these things so you have to plan on it and make sure you have a budget and there, these are some tips on how to go to a sporting event on a budget mm-hmm. and uh, just some some ideas in that area so um, by the way I'm, I'm John Travis I have an MBA in finance I'm also a Dave Ramsey uh, financial coach I have over 29 years of experience in planning for both corporations
0: and individuals and hey, my name is Matthew Travis and I'm I'm a uh, certified financial planner, and I've been working at the firm for a little over three years now. Yeah, time flies, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's awesome.
1: It's awesome. Well, we're excited to have you listening to the, uh, the show today. Um, you know, we're up every week. On Friday uh, mornings, and um, you can also go to our website MoneyMD or or iTunes every Friday and listen to us. um, You know, anywhere in the world. If you're on vacation, you can uh, check us out, and uh, you also go to the website MoneyMD.net. You can only get the uh, the podcast out there, but we also have a lot of good tools on the website. We have uh, some retirement links. Some college information out there, so go check that out. And uh, we have a Money MD Facebook page as well. We put a prescription of the week every week out there. Uh, I think I'm up this week uh, on that, so go check us out on Facebook. And uh, we're going to start off with the uh, financial fact of the week.
0: Yeah, and this has this has touched a lot of people. But this fact says the average cost of care for an individual infected with um, with COVID. Um, wh- who has insurance and who requires hospitalization is twenty nine thousand dollars. That average cost soars to over one hundred and fifty thousand if that patient requires a ventilator and needs treatment in an ICU unit. Yeah, this
1: is, comes from the uh, Fair Health is the source, and um, you know this this fact is really there to make sure people understand that. You you need to have health insurance. We run across people who don't have health yeah, insurance, right. and COVID is one example. Anytime you have to go to the hospital for anything, it's very expensive. And you know, if you have these kind of expenses and you don't have have health insurance, it's going to lead you to bankruptcy. Um, so the really the takeaway here is is make sure you have health insurance. We we just never know whether it's COVID or um, some other disease or car wrecks or whatever. Um, when that medical expense is going to happen, and so I tell you, one of the the difficult things we find with um, working with clients now is is getting reasonable and affordable health care, and that's not, It's not out there unless you work for a company uh, and you have a group policy. It's very difficult on the open market, but at a minimum, get a high-deductible policy so you're capped at $5,000, $10,000 versus having a $100,000 bill right. that's uh, very difficult to recover from. So good financial fact of the week, and we're going to switch gears here to our first topic. And this is uh, Nine Things You'll Regret keeping in a safe deposit box. This is from a Kiplinger article. So great, great find on this, Matthew.
0: Yeah, so some examples of things that you can and maybe should keep in a safe deposit box include prized possessions, such as baseball cards, jewelry inherited from a relative, um, very you know, other personal things that have a lot of value to you. Um, it can provide just a lot of protection for safe documents even, but a safe deposit box is not a wise choice for everything. Access to your safe deposit box could even be more limited during emergencies, natural disasters, holidays, weekends, et cetera. So we're going to examine, well, what are those things that we should not keep in a safe deposit box? Yeah. And there's, there's
1: nine of them here. And the first one is is interesting is cash. Um, Experts warn that there are several reasons why you shouldn't stash cash in a safe deposit box. Now this is talking about at a bank, right? Right. So if you need the money in an emergency, you know, the bank's closed and you're out of luck. So uh, you know, the banks aren't open 24-7, so it's one reason not to keep it in there. Another one is is it loses um, buying power over time due to inflation. So, you know, cash in a safe deposit box is making zero. If you're in a 3% inflation uh, environment, which is kind of close to where we are now, You're losing 3% on that money every single year. So maybe it's better to put that money in an interest-bearing savings account or maybe a CD. It's still not a lot of return, but it's something. And uh, also interesting, I didn't know this, but some banks uh, forbid storing cash in a safe deposit box. So make sure you read the uh, fine print on your agreement. And bear in mind, too, that the cash in a safe deposit box is not protected by the Federal Deposit Insurance
0: Corp., Mm. uh, also known as FDIC insurance. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, number two is a passport. It's tempting to store passport in a safe deposit box where it won't get lost, damaged, or stolen. Our, the advice of this um, article is do not. A planned trip is one thing, but an emergency trip by their nature are unplanned. And inevitably, they arise during non-banking hours. So an example could be if you have a child overseas and they get sick. Um, you may need to leave immediately. Or if you have parents on a cruise ship that... They get injured. You may need to leave on the weekends or after hours. So having that passport um, handy is 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 much better than having it locked up during non banking hours. Um, so, yeah, it's best to keep that secured in a, in a home safe. Yeah, that's interesting. I I, um, I think
1: we have our passports actually in the safe deposit box, and um, we don't have anybody traveling overseas. Sure. So something to certainly think about. Uh, the, you know, the other flip side of that is if you have it in a home safe and you have a house fire, right? Uh, you know, you can potentially lose some of this as well. So you got some things to, to balance out and think about what's going to be the best solution. Another thing they say don't keep in the safe deposit box is original copy of your will. Um, obviously having a copy in the safe deposit box is a good thing, but don't store the original copy there, especially if you're the sole owner of that safe deposit box. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, you know, when you pass away, the bank is going to protect that safe deposit box. And, um, you know, an executor is going to have to prove that he or she has the legal right to access it. And that could lead to long and potentially costly delays before your will is executed and your heirs receive their inheritances. So keep the original copy of your will with your attorney, uh, or someone else where your executor can access it without jumping through legal hoops. And I will say that we have copies of wills here, right? Um, we're stored on our network for for clients right. They wanted to have us to have a copy of it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's just something else on estate planning is just caring for your heirs. I mean, you are past, you're not experiencing going through all that, but setting up beneficiaries is another really good estate planning tool, but definitely keeping a will um, not in a safe deposit box where people can, can get to it quickly yep. does serve them well as well. Another one is a letter of instruction, which goes along with the will. Um, The letter of instruction um, is is stating things that uh, are not in the will, but it's your wishes. So whether you want to be cremated or buried, what kind of memorial service, if any, would you like to have, and details on specific bequests, Um, like Uncle Larry gets your Star Wars DVD collection, or Cousin Kathleen gets the pearl earrings you inherited, and so on. However, if your letter of instruction is sealed inside the safe deposit box that no one can access, and your final wishes may not be granted. So the the recommendation is to keep this with the original copy of your will, that then people will be able to access, um, given you know when you die.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's that's good. Another one here is a uh, durable power of attorney, kind of in the same. Same uh, light here, you know, you, you've got all this paperwork, signed, sealed, and delivered, and, and one of these could be the, the durable power of attorney that we've talked about before. And that basically gives authority to a third party to act on your behalf should you become incapacitated or some somehow unable to handle your legal and financial affairs. So the problem is, is that if that POA is locked away in a safe deposit box that no one can access, then the person you're counting on to protect you uh, at the time of need uh, they could have their hands tied and not get access to it. So keep that original POA with a copy of your uh, your will and um, also instructions, um, someplace that you can access it. Maybe that is the uh, the home safe, right uh, if you have one of those, um, or maybe it's a friend. Or you know, you've got to come up with a solution that you're comfortable with.
0: Yeah, and and just going in that same vein, um, this last one on the estate planning is advanced directives for healthcare. There's two really important documents, and if you don't have these, consider getting these, a living will and a healthcare proxy. A living will states your wishes for end-of-life care. Do you want a ventilator or a feeding tube used to keep you alive? Do you want to be resuscitated if your heart stops? Very hard questions, but absent of this living will, doctors are actually obligated to to take extraordinary uh, steps to save you. A healthcare proxy, also known as a healthcare power of attorney, um, for the second um, document, designate someone to make medical decisions for you in the event that you can't make them yourselves. So neither document will do much good if it's locked away mm-hmm. in an in- inaccessible box. Um, so make sure your medical providers, family members, and healthcare POAs they have copies of these documents on hand. Yeah, that's really good. And uh, another one here on the list is um, don't put uh,
1: uninsured jewelry and collectibles. In the safe deposit box, and again, I think the key word here is is uninsured. Um, they're not uh, FDIC insured when they're in the safe deposit box, um, nor does the bank itself, um, you know, uh, you know, protect those uh, per their agreement. But the standard homeowner's insurance policy it does offer some coverage for personal property kept off uh, premises, but the limits are typically low right. um, for those things. So one option is, you know, talk to your insurer, see if the limits can be raised. Uh, You may actually have to schedule it, which just means you have to, um, you know, call it out as a separate line item, uh, which would require you to get an appraisal potentially. Uh, It's also a good idea to have photos um, of those items as well, but don't just put it in the safe deposit box. Um, you know, without having some some coverage on it additionally in case, I mean, there's things I guess could happen to a bank yeah. as well. So make sure you have that taken care of. And
0: when I was reading this, it was actually interesting. They had a couple instances where banks changed ownership and something got lost and the bank boxes got mixed up. Oh, no. And there was a New York Times article that went into this and there's people that lost very valuable wow. items mm. because of this mix up. So, I mean, very, very rare, obviously, but yeah, definitely something to to note. Uh, the second to last one this is funny is spare keys uh keeping a spare key house key in a safe deposit box is also a bad idea um think about it you only have access to your safe deposit box during normal banking hours and only if you have the box's key with you if you're like most people your safe deposit box key is somewhere in the house yeah so if you're locked out of the house and your spare key is in the bank then it's a circular argument and you can't get into either one of them and you're yeah. up a creek so better idea is to keep a spare key with a trusted neighbor nearby relative or to hide it or to get an automatic you know a punch code or some yeah. kind of key like that so that is not a good don't 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 store s- spare, spare keys and in, in safety deposit boxes yeah
1: no doubt and the last one here which is interesting is liquids and dangerous items uh, your bank should offer up a list of what is not permissible to keep in the safe deposit box and you got to look at look at those. Pay attention. Firearms typically are not allowed, uh, obviously, nor nor are explosives. Uh, the same goes for illicit drugs and hazardous materials. Sure. So many, if not all, banks uh, do not allow liquids to be stored in your safe deposit box. So if you have that decades-old bottle of rare scotch, uh, you probably should keep it at, at your house uh, versus a safe deposit box. So, Matthew, I know, like, personally, I've gone through, so we do have a safe deposit box. We also have a home safe. And figuring out what we put where and making sure— Um, you and Danielle Mm -hmm. know uh, codes and things like that, it it is complicated. There's a lot of ins and outs to this and and where you keep the original copies and the the keys and so forth. And so we've, you know, I'll I'll take certainly this into uh, consideration as I go back and and review that. But make sure you're, like Matthew was saying, your heirs know where these copies are, codes, uh, we have, I have a, a password list um, for accounts and so forth. I also have that summary sheet that we talk about quite a bit. Uh, if you don't have your assets summarized in a one-page format, go out to our website, moneymd.net. We have that, um, that page that you can use as a template uh, to do that. So great, great topic. We've never covered that one before, so that was a good find. Matthew, and we're going to switch now to the uh, question of the week. And this came in from a client, and uh, interesting. So our company name is Richard Young Associates. Uh, we've we've kind of branded the podcast as Money MD. Um, but the question was, is who is Richard Young? And um, so interesting, Richard uh, is now 85 years old, <clears throat> and he lives in uh, Asheville, North Carolina, with his wife Joan. Um, so Richards uh, went to school at the University of Chicago, which is a great business school. Um, and then he got an MBA from Yale. So he was very, very well educated. He started working in the uh, securities industry in Chicago back in 1974. And he moved to Augusta in, in uh, 1985. And, and so Richard Young Associates has been in, in existence for a very long time. Um, and we actually are in our current building back in 1998. So it's kind of the, the history. Um, he did retire in 2009, um, and his hobbies, uh, were tennis and hiking. Huh. So I know Tammy and I, my wife went up and, and visited him last year before COVID. He and Joan, his wife, um, and, uh, he, they're doing well. They're in a, a great little complex up in Asheville and, um, you know, uh, he helped create a lot of these, uh, processes and, you know relationships that we have with DFA and mm. and so forth. And uh, I know when I started in 2007, I used to spend a lot of time with with uh, Richard. Um, you know, talking to him about his experiences and and his approaches and so forth. And always had a lot of respect for him. Wow. So great, uh, great question of the week. And with that, we're going to switch uh, to our our next topic, and that is ways to enjoy sporting events on a budget. This comes from Dave Ramsey. And uh, like I said in the intro, um, Matthew, you and I have always just had a, an affinity for seeing sporting events. And, and we've certainly gone to see some pro sporting events, but we also really enjoy local. Right. Matter of fact, we were, went to North Augusta High School football game last week. I was and, blast. Oh, we just had so much fun. It was a beautiful evening. And, um, you know, it's not a bad seat at a high school That's stadium. Right. That's <laughs> so right. And it was pretty inexpensive, too. So, so uh, we got some some ideas here to to how do you do this on a budget because it is expensive when you go to some of these games, and the first one here is um, to wait for discount nights. And I th- when I saw that one, I thought about the Green Jackets; they have discount nights there. So a lot of teams do have discount nights. So keep your eyes open. Some of the baseball teams have family nights. Uh, the packages include tickets and parking and concessions. Um, so you just want to make sure you stay in the loop. And, um, when the schedule comes out early in the season, you know, circle some of those discounted games on the calendar so you can start saving up early. Uh, it's pretty inexpensive to go to a green jackets game. Um, so the discount nights is one way
0: to, to do this on a budget. Yeah, that's right. Another one is buying from sellers online. You don't have to buy tickets from, uh, teams directly. You can check websites and online auctions like eBay, Facebook, marketplace, um, or Craigslist. Uh, but whenever you buy things online, be very careful and remember this, um, to make sure that it is a legit seller and, um, it's not a scam. So that is very important, but online you can, um, get a cheaper t- ticket sometimes.
1: Yeah. I know that, uh, like Ticketmaster is a really good, um, venue and, right. and they, they uh, verify sellers and, you know, if you wait long enough, you know, to the last minute, you can maybe get a good deal on right. it. So but you do have to be careful with that. Um, and then the third one here is is uh, don't fall for the buy now, pay later, pay later plan. And um, so sometimes they'll they'll say, hey, if you you spend four hundred dollars to see a game for a family, all you have to do is pay hundred dollars a month. Um, no big deal, right? And they, it's interest free until you miss a payment, and then there's big interest costs. But if you have to put that, you know, on a payment plan, you probably shouldn't be doing it on the front end of it, plain and simple. So don't be fooled into these payment plans, if you, if you can't uh, you know, afford that $400 for that month, look out into the future and save that $100 up um, every month if you can do that and go to a game later in the season. So just be careful with those buy now, pay later type uh, programs. Another option here, and we've done this throughout the years, Matthew, is sitting in the upper level. Yeah. I mean, you know, so you know the nosebleed section, and that's it's uh, what people call those seats, you know, that are far back, upper levels mm-hmm. of the stadium. And you may not be as close to the action, but you'll pay a lot less, and you're in the stadium. Uh, we've done that with a lot of Braves games yeah. um, in the past, and you know whether you're going to the football or basketball, um, you know one thing's for sure is you can you can get a cheap ticket if you sit high up in the in the stadium, and um, Plus, you'll get a lot of exercise walking up those <laughs> steps. But, you know, you're also, you know, it's the environment. It's the that's experience. Right. It's and a memory. It is. And if you go with your kids and so forth, um, you know, you're getting popcorn and hot dogs. And right. you got to be careful with that because you can spend a lot of money. <laughs> but sitting in the upper level is a great way to get to some of these professional stadiums on a reasonable price. Yeah, that's,
0: that's a great point. Um, one other thing is, um, you know, going local, like we just said. Um, you know, or seeing minor league teams. If you want to go to a sports game, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a professional game. Uh, going to one of these local teams can save you a lot of money. You can still see really good, um, really good athletes. A great example of Silver Bluff High School has kicked out a lot of yeah. really good football players. The and Marcus this year, Lawrence. yeah, this year they are very good. So, you know, you could see someone that is um, going to be at the next level if you go to some of these local games. So that's just another; it's yeah. cheaper, and you can also uh, get some really good uh, competition going on.
1: I remember when when Danielle was young, she was a um, she was a cheerleader, and she I think she was in fifth grade, and so we I would go to her football games and. I enjoyed watching yeah. the, the football, right. even at that that young age, and obviously I, I cheered her on as well. But yeah, I mean, going to local games is so much fun. Right. It's um, it's just for us, it's enjoyable. Like like you said, we've been to Silver Bluff, South Aiken, we've Aiken been to Aiken High, High um, and then Millen North Valley. Augusta, Midland Valley. Yeah, yeah I we've I mean, been all, all over. Them. And it's very inexpensive and it's just a great, we always have a a great time. So uh, another thing to do is just ask around. I mean, there's, you know, if you look at the green jackets, I mean, there's, you know, hundreds of empty seats at every game. Um, Some of these tickets are never, you know, uh, purchased or they are purchased and people aren't just using them. So ask your friends and coworkers if they have any extra tickets. Um, They may be willing to give you the tickets or maybe you can negotiate a good deal as well. So, you know, just ask around sometimes, like I know with South Carolina, there's Um, there's message boards out there and people are selling tickets, uh, pretty inexpensively. So yeah, you know, just checking around, and try to uh, try to get yourself a deal. Yeah. Another thing you need to be careful of is, um, you know, just remembering your goals. I mean, going to these games are fun. Uh, we obviously, Steve and I talk about sporting events as Matthew and I do as well, quite a bit. But you know, if you're working the debt snowball, you've got to ask yourself if dropping you know a lot of cash on one of these games is a is a good idea. And um, you know, maybe you need to save it up for your entertainment budget. Um, but that's that's a question that you're going to have to figure out. Um, for yourself, and and uh, you know, depending on what the ticket prices are, the cost of one game could actually, um, you know, cover something else in your budget, like maybe a date night or uh, maybe paying off an extra payment of debt. So uh, be, be careful. I mean, if you go to Atlanta Braves um, Hawks games, I mean, they can be you know a couple hundred dollars, um, and you know, if you're taking a family of four, it's going to be five hundred to seven hundred dollars. It's going to be like going to Disney Disney World. Wow. It's so expensive. So just be careful that you have uh, that taken care of. And um, there is a way, Matthew, to um, to budget for a big game. And, and you can go to a sporting event, but you have to be smart. You have to plan ahead and budget for it. And uh, it, there's a concept called a sinking fund, which is a great way to save up for the game over time. And it's pretty, pretty easy to do it. So will walk you through this. And this sinking fund can obviously be used for sporting events, but it, it should be used really for <laughs> A lot of different yeah. expenses,
0: and I was going to say it, it is what we're going to give an example f- because this article is about sports, but it can be used for a car, it can be used for you know smaller purchases. This is a really good concept. So, let's say let's use the sporting uh, event example. Let's say the tickets for the game you want are fifty dollars each, and you want to take your family four, so that's two hundred dollars. Now let's say the tickets go on sale in two months. That means you've got two months to save up. Which means it's going to be $100 a month or uh, 25 a week. So, yep. you know, thinking through what are the expenses coming up and how do I budget for them? How do I save for them? What do I need to save each week? You could even break it down. I don't know I uh, won't say who, but does it on a daily basis. And they, they do a draft from their bank on a daily basis because it is that wow. mentality of okay, we need to save up for this. Um, we're going to do this very intentionally. So that's that's the concept of the sinking fund. Yeah, we do see a lot of
1: clients that are setting aside um, property taxes. Right. Um, if they're paying them themselves, car insurance, vacations, and they'll, they'll basically take, uh, let's say, I mean, Christmas comes in every December year. every single year. Right. And in January, they'll take one-twelfth of their Christmas budget. And let's say it's $1,200. They'll take $100 a month and they'll put it aside. That's a sinking fund for, right. for Christmas. And you can use that sinking fund uh for a lot of different expenses um and so really honestly i mean on a monthly basis you should be contributing uh this sinking fund concept to car purchase tires house repairs because the thing that we see gets people in a lot of trouble is you'll have the $1,500, $1,500, you know, house repair, and you have no money because you haven't been setting any aside. And and those repairs are going to happen.
0: Yeah. And, and just a, a technical note on that, you know, separating that from your checking account, as well as yes. your emergency fund is really important. So maybe having a third you could have more than that. But you know, having that third bank account that you say, hey, this is the sinking fund for these five categories and then determining what that amount that goes in there every month is. That's, that's a really good way of doing that.
1: And Dave, um, Dave Ramsey's organization does have good software. It's called every dollar, uh, app. and, And you can, you can go ahead and set up a budget category for the sinking fund, um, every single month and fund it and, um, keep track of it that way. There's also, um, why nab you need a budget mm-hmm. uh, is a very popular one out there as well um so it really comes back to to budgeting um and we, we talk about that a lot but budgeting gives you freedom to spend without some stress so the sinking fund concept you know we're using it in this sporting um you know conversation but that's a very powerful concept we see a lot of successful uh budgeters use um very, very wisely. Mm. So. Um, Anyway, it's good uh, Good sports discussion, and we're gonna s- close out here, Matthew, with the prescription of the week. Yeah, and this,
0: if you have come into our office, you, I'm sure you've seen this red and this is one of our blue <laughs> chart. We've, uh, it's our favorite one. This is what we talk about pretty much every time. But it is, it's historical, it's very simple, but it, it basically shows that of the last almost 100 years, going back to 1926, looking at the US stock market as a, as a whole, about 25% of the years are negative which means about 75% of the years are positive which i mean it's just incredible to look and to to see headlines of people saying oh gosh you know the markets are, are going down we're going to have a correction we're going to do this it's going to be bad and and quite frankly we can say yeah it 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 might it probably is going to go down at some point because historically it's down one out of every four years, so we can plan for that. We can we can understand how to handle that, and it's not a surprise. It's built into plans.
1: Yeah, and and so when someone when you see a um, uh, someone in the media talking about this, first of all, no one knows when the markets are going to go down and recover, right? Um, but we don't do know historically that you know the reason why people invest in the stock market is uh, it's up seventy five percent of the time, and even with those twenty five percent down years.
0: The stock market is still, you know, averaged around ten percent. And I will say just one thing: is this is looking at the stock market as a whole. This is not looking at individual companies. Yes. And so, so that statistic is likely much less. And because we cannot know what individual companies are going to do, but this is looking at. The broad U.S. stock market as a whole.
1: Yeah, so we obviously uh, recommend investing in mutual funds right. and being diversified. So obviously, past performance doesn't guarantee future results. We we all know that. But you know, the reason why people um, invest in the stock market is historically, it's uh, it's gone up more than it's gone down. It's one way that um, Americans and people around the world have built wealth. And um, you know, if you have questions in your situation, or your kids have questions, or grandkids, have them reach out to us. Matthew and I love sitting down and, and educating. Educating folks on this stuff because if you understand some of the things that we understand it's gonna make you um, less stressful Uh, it doesn't mean that we can tell you when we're gonna have those those down years but you do build it into the plans and your kind of your psyche a little bit so when it when it does happen it's part of the process and actually for those of you that are building wealth out there when we do get a a down month or a quarter or a year it's a great way to build wealth because you're buying more shares And for those of you in retirement, you know, when the markets are down, we have bonds in the portfolio. So we're just pulling the income from that. So there's a process in place to handle the red boxes, as we call them. um, And that's important, uh, you know, to, to understand that. So uh, it's been a great show today, Matthew. I've enjoyed hanging out with you. Yeah. Um, good good articles. And uh, so this has been this week's edition of MoneyMD. So tune in next week uh, on MoneyMD.net to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check out our website, MoneyMD.net. Send us your questions uh, or give us a call here at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of the week.